But what's happening there in our little interaction is to show that gifts are an interesting thing, right? They can be an expression of friendship, affection, care, love. They can also be used in a wrong way, abused. What can you do for me? Or am I going to hang out with you because of what you give me, right? Those are the ways that gift-giving can be abused. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Someone saying, you know, hey, I gave you this gift, now you owe me. Or you're just hanging around me because of the gifts I give you. You know, believe it or not, in the early Roman Empire, this was kind of a way of people operating, kind of a quid pro quo. Wealthy patrons would give gifts to people. And then they say, okay, hey, I, you know that nice gift I give you? I, I could use a little something from you. That's what would take place. That's how business got done in the early Roman Empire. And that wasn't always a very healthy thing. Here's what this has to do with anything we're talking about today. We've been in the letter of the uh, Philippians. And if you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to be in chapter 4 today. But the Philippians, Philippi, is a Roman colony with Roman values. And they have given a gift to the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul, who is an ambassador of the gospel, who's an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And he has received this gift. And there's a temptation within this to misconstrue what is the meaning of it. Does Paul owe them now? Have they given him this gift? Is his relationship with them only you know, predicated on their ability to meet his financial needs? What's the healthy view here? And so we're going to be looking at that. And Paul seeks to express gratitude. But on the other hand, he also wants to shed light on the reality of what true contentment, true joy, and where true security comes from, for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to express to his beloved flock in Philippi. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into what God has for us in his word. So Lord, we're grateful that your word addresses very practical issues, even like gift giving, and what it means. And ultimately, you want to show us where life is, you want to show us where contentment is, you want to show us where true security is, and that's found in you. So open the eyes of our heart to what you want to say to us through your word, and Lord, edit out what I shouldn't say, and help me to say what you want me to say. But come and be present among us, and help us see what you have for us in your word. Lord, break up those hard spots in our life. Let it do its surgery, and let it heal where it needs to do its work. Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So, let's face it. When it comes to material things, sometimes we can get things out of whack, right? We can relate to them wrongly. Here's the mantra, or the, the, the big picture I want you to operate under throughout this whole, this whole message. Number one, worship God. First priority. Number two, 
Love people. Number three, use, manage, or steward things. We can get those things out of whack, can't we? We can use people. We can worship things. We can worship people. We can try and use God for what we want. And when those things are out of order, those are inordinate affections, we're in a world of hurt. And so that's the mantra, for, or this is the, this is the big picture. Worship God, love people, manage, use things. So here's where we pick things up here. And you might, as you, as you go along, you might even want to write down what category does each point fit into. So let's start with this. Rejoicing. This is Paul rejoicing in the concern of the Philippians as they express it in a gift. Verse 10 of chapter 4 of Philippians. I rejoice greatly in the Lord at last that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And as we know, the Apostle Paul planted the church in Philippi. He had a very close relationship with this church. Very intimately connected with them. He also got beat with rods in Philippi. It was not a cakewalk ministering in Philippi. And as he went on to spread the gospel in Macedonia, Greece, in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, in Jerusalem, in prison uh, for a time, for multiple years, perhaps they lost connection with him for a little bit. And going through all those trials, he would still be able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say, Rejoice. That is the source of Paul's joy. And that's what he wants to bring forth to this congregation that he loves. And he rejoiced at the Philippians. Now that he's in jail, the, the context is he's writing this letter from a Roman prison says, hey, I rejoice that you have uh, had an opportunity, that you renewed your concern for me. Although you lacked opportunity. Like I said, his moving around it probably lost connection. It's not as though, you know, he could, they could Venmo uh, funds to him. You know, there was no internet. There were, there were no wire services, if you will. And so they brought him a gift. They sent him a gift in, in, Ephesus, uh, in Rome through a man named Epaphroditus. And Paul sees this as a, an act of love. And in fact, you know, it's appropriate for us to respond to brothers and sisters who are in need when they have a need. That is an appropriate act of love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has the material possessions and sees his, a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, then how can the love of God be in that person? We've had an opportunity. I mean, God has blessed us many ways richly. We've had opportunity to invest in certain places. The landing is one of them. We've had a chance to help build a church in Henry, Haiti. What a great opportunity there. Through our local benevolence fund, we've been able to come alongside of people who've been hurting financially or has lost income. Because we're trying to love people through what we give. 
And Paul's saying, I love this. This is great. But I need you to know something. I need you to not allow me or you to misconstrue this gift. And so, what happens next is he, sounds kind of weird, he refutes the reliance upon the gift. Listen to this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. You're not in need? You're not in need, Paul? Yes, you are. I'm not in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, at first glance, this almost seems awkward. Almost seems ingrateful. Not that I have any. What, what, what do you mean? You don't have a need. You're in jail. And the jail, the state jail, didn't provide for them. You had to be reliant on your friends, on your family. What we need to realize is that Paul is modeling for the Philippians what the the primary value is. If you go back to verse nine. Remember what he said, and whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. Paul is modeling for these Philippians what it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, where to have your joy, where to have your confidence, where to have your hope, your dependence. You heard our brother Dan Fifield just tell us all that His income was cut in half. His, his confidence, his joy, his hope could not be in that income. It had to be in the Lord for him to move forward. That's what Paul is trying to say. And in a culture, again, with the background that is asking the question, are you obligated, is Paul now obligated, or is Paul using the Philippians for this? He's trying to bring up the truth that my hope, my security, my joy is not in your gift. As good as that is, that's not what it's in. Remember, there's a, there a period where Paul was probably disconnected from the Philippian church when he was in jail in Caesarea, when he was maybe on the you know, Mediterranean Sea getting, uh, you know, getting ready to be taken to, to Rome, to jail, to stand before Caesar. When he got shipwrecked and ended up on Malta. There was no help coming from the Philippian church then. And that's okay. But his hope, his joy, his contentment was not in the ability of the, of the Philippian church to provide for them. It was in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Himself. This is not stoicism when he says, I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in need. This is not stoicism. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. It is a Christ dependence. A Christ dependence. A dependence upon a Savior who can take a few fish and loaves and multiply them and feed a crowd of 5,000. It's faith in a God who says that man does not live by bread 
alone. By every word, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's, what, that's how Jesus responds to Satan when he says, hey, why don't you be self-sufficient and turn these stones to bread? But you know what the context of that whole statement was? It was the people of Israel out in the wilderness who had all the wealth of Egypt. They had gold. They had plenty of gold and silver and diamonds. You know what the problem is in the wilderness? There's no Walmart. You can't eat gold. You can't eat rubies and silver. God had to provide. And that's what he was trying to teach his people. I'm your source of life. Not the wealth that you have. I am your source of life. It's in those moments when material is scarce (laughs) that Paul learned that Jesus could sustain him. He could still have joy. And he said, remember, he says, I have learned. It wasn't just something, you know, he just snapped his fingers and, oh, I'm all good. No, he learned that as he walked with Jesus through all of his trials, all of his challenges. I've learned to be content in him, not in my circumstances. And look to the strength that he has provided. So it gets back to you and me, right? Christ followers. How are you doing with feeling content? Do you think you need more to be content? Do you think you need certain things? Do you need a certain lifestyle? What if that disappears? Will you still be content? Have you learned the secret? Are you learning the secret of being content in Him? And now I'm going to reverse things. Do you know how to be content when you abound? When you have too much stuff? When you're overflowing? Because that's a tough place sometimes to operate spiritually too. You know why? Because we can sometimes believe that that is our security. That I'm better than another person because I've got more stuff. Paul says, Instruct those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth that can so easily be taken away. We can make it our God. It can be something we believe that we have security in. And you know what's interesting? You get to Colossians uh, 3.5 and it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire. And the last thing is greed. And Paul makes this commentary, which is idolatry. Greed, which is idolatry. Which, which is the foolish thought that the more stuff I have, the more life I have. And Jesus says, be careful. A man's life does not consist of his possessions. Guard your heart from that. The Apostle Paul will even say that money, things can be the root of all sorts of evil. And even worse, it's just the issue of the things that God gives us, He is the source of all, he get, uh, all we have. Do we say, that's mine? Or do we say it's the Lord's? Now, a very sincere young man came to Jesus. The Scripture says he is a rich young ruler. He says, hey, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And If you know the story, he says, you know the commandments. 
you know, honor your father and mother. Can't remember exactly what else he said. And he says, I've done all that. I've done all that, Lord. What else? He says, okay. If you would be holden, sell all you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the scripture says his face fell. And he went away sad. That's not necessarily our application for us to sell all we have and give it to the poor. But the, the point is, the master said, you want to know? Okay, I'll tell you. Sell all you have, come and follow me. And he couldn't do it. Because he viewed that stuff as his. That's mine. And we hold on to those things, they start to own us. Managing things that can get out of order. When he asks us to give something of the abundance that he's given us for the sake of others, are we, are we quick to do it? Are we, are we holding on? You know, but I really like that. Even though I've got ten of them. I really like that coat. How do we manage things? The secret of contentment is not looking to our resources, scarce or plentiful. Nor to looking to those who give us stuff, but looking to Jesus, through whom we can do all things. Paul is making the source of his contentment, his reliance, clear. It's him to whom I can do all things, who gives me strength. Jesus. On the other hand, Paul does not want to appear ungrateful. He doesn't want to appear like, you know, like he doesn't care. In fact, he loves the affection that they've expressed, the friendship, the family, the sense of partnership. And so he is entering into now what I call a remembering of the gospel partnership in their giving. Look at verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Again, the Philippians are really coming alongside of Paul as he's in prison. And they have a history of giving to him and being partners in his gospel ministry. Look at verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So just a real quick, you know, kind of review of Acts verses chapters 16 through 18. Paul comes to, to Philippi, and he shares the gospel, and, the, and a, a church builds up there, and it's in the house of a woman named Lydia. And then Paul and Silas cast out a demon out of a young lady who's, who's saying, these are the servants of the Lord, the servants of the Lord. It's like he gets tired of it and says, okay, I command you, demon, come out. And she does, and because she was a fortune teller, the masters of the slave girl didn't like that, and they get thrown into jail. And Paul gets beaten. He's a Roman citizen. And the, you know, the fathers of the city get in trouble. He goes, oh, we shouldn't have done that. And so they ask him to leave. So he does leave. And he eventually takes the gospel down to Athens, to Corinth, to Ephesus. These are all larger cities than, um, and cultural centers. And then even in Thessalonia, which is 
just next door. But every place, only the Philippians supported him. Only the Philippians. If you read through that, there's no other church that supports him. There are churches that give money to a gift for the church in, in Jerusalem, but only the Philippians are the ones who are supporting Paul and his gospel ministry. So not only did they share in Paul's troubles, but they share in his gospel ministry. They have a history of it. And in doing so, they're helping spread the gospel to people who desperately need it. And right now, it's happening in the house of Caesar. As he's with the Praetorian Guard and sharing the gospel. Isn't that funny? A place where they thought Paul would be set and the gospel would not spread. The gospel is spreading at the highest levels of the government in the Roman Empire. Jesus would say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money. And the question comes back to us. Do we really treasure the gospel? Do you and I really believe it's good news, that it, it, people need it? That people are eternally separated from God until they are reconciled to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. Do we really believe that? And are we willing to fund that? To get behind that, financially even. Not just say it, not just have our own little club here, but to take that message to the world. That's what we're doing when we support someone like Emily in the Mideast. That's what you're doing if you get behind Justin and Jamie Long as they go to Thailand. That's what we've had the privilege to do as we've invested in orphans in Henry. You know what the cool thing about that is? Those kids are now turning around and spreading the gospel to their community there in Limbe and up in Henry. That's amazing. What a great return on investment. But that's because some of you decided to invest in that. Do we really believe that's worth investing in? Do we believe that it's worth investing in in the landing? That homeless people would hear the gospel. They need Jesus even before they even need laundry or clothing. Those things show the love of Jesus. But they need Him most of all. And again, it's not just throwing money. Because I think there's something to relationship. That's why we've sent teams down to Haiti. That's why we were able to go down on, on October 10th and serve down there, breakfast, and even go in caroling. I, I think that's a great start. I hope some of you who went had a great chance to meet some people and go, man, that person is made in the image of God. And I want to minister to more people like that. It's not just throwing money. It's bringing the message face to face. It's being Jesus with skin on before people. But there's a partnership there. And the end of this giving is redemptive results. Look at verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that you be credited, that you be credited to your account. I've received full payment and more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now what I have received from Epaphroditus, the gifts sent you sent, they are a fragrant offering, 
an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You know what Paul says here, beginning in verse 17? He says, Not that I desire your gifts. Your relationship, our relationship is not contingent upon what you give me. I want you to know that. And here's, here's what I know. It gets kind of weird for some folks when pastors or Christian leaders start talking about money because the assumption sometimes is, well, all you want us for is my money. And I'm not going to deny that there have been pastors or leaders that haven't abused calling for people to give to the kingdom of God, and then they use it to build their own kingdoms. That's happened out there. I'm not going to lie about that. Does, I don't think it happens here. But it has happened. And you just have to be discerning. Okay, what, what, is, what is this building? What, the pastor needs a private jet? No, I don't think so. You know? We don't give so people can live in privilege or luxury. We give so that the kingdom of God might be built. And don't let a few bad actors cloud your judgment or the redemptive results that God wants to bring through your giving. So first, first thing that Paul points out is heavenly reward. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Salvation is a free gift. It comes through what Jesus has done. And living a life we couldn't live, paying a price we couldn't pay, conquering a foe we couldn't conquer. But then you know what happens when you put your faith in Christ? He says, now you've become my workmanship, and I want to use you. I want to use all your resources to help other people come into relationship with me. And you have that privilege. And you know what? When you give to that, I give you heavenly reward. You have rewards in heaven that you're going to enjoy when you come into my kingdom fully. Jesus will say this. There's eternal interest. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what, folks? When this life is said and done, you're not going to take anything with you. Some of it may be taken to, away by some of your relatives or friends. Some of it will end up in a, in, a, in a landfill. But you're not going to take anything with you when you're done. It's only what you have spent for His kingdom. What you've invested in His kingdom. It's God's 401k plan for you to enjoy eternity with Him. There's reward there. And you know what? I think when we get there, I think we won't say, I wish I'd given less. I think we'll say, I wish I'd given more. Because his kingdom is worth it. But one of the benefits of giving is heavenly reward. Number two, this is very practical, pragmatic, a need gets met. Verse 18, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. He basically says, I'm abounding or overflowing. And now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Again, Paul was in prison. You know, his food, his clothing were suspect. Maybe writing materials, even medicines he needed to stay healthy. And Jesus is using the body of Christ 
to meet his needs. To meet his needs. I don't know about you, but I kind of like it when I get to invest in God's kingdom and I see a need being met. It's been cool to do something like invest in Damascus Way and have them renovate an apartment. I don't know if you know we did that. We had that opportunity a little while ago. It's been really cool to help Pastor Illidor in Henry have a motorbike so he could get around and not be dependent upon people. It's been cool in being able to invest and put up siding and painting. That was, that was fun. It was kind of a barn-raising experience, wasn't it? And we, we still got a few things to paint on the back end, I know, but we'll talk about that later. But it's really cool to see when needs get met. Maybe some folks at the landing can have some needs met as you invest in that. Heavenly reward. Needs get met. Number three, worship takes place. Back to number one, worshiping God. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. What what you Philippians did in relation to God, it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And, And pointing back to the sacrificial system found in the Old Testament. If you want to read about that, just read the first two chapters of Leviticus. Of people offering sacrifices of animals, grain, and incense. But they are a pleasing aroma to God. Saying, you are worth worshiping my God. Now here's something that where we can, again, misconstrue things. Not, we can't pay off God, alright? We can't pay off God and say, hey, you know... God, I've, I've, you know, I've made a pretty, pretty substantial investment here. You can let me in your kingdom. No. Again, the investment of what God has invested in sending His Son for us. And in fact, some of his, uh, God's people in the Old Testament got rebuked for that. You know, they were trying to, you know, didn't matter how they lived, I just gave good sacrifices. And he rebukes them and says, Look, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In Hosea 6.6, what God values is the heart behind it, not the actual giving. Whether that's practical giving, investing in earthly resources into a heavenly kingdom, whether it's love for other brothers and sisters in meeting a need, whether it's just obedience and faith. Obedience and faith. When we give to God our finances, it is a time to worship. When we take the offering, folks here at Berean, it's worship. And, and I, I, I just want to make a commentary. I know some of us do some online giving, and we're grateful for that. But as you're doing that, I, I encourage you just to make that a moment of worship, even. As you're getting ready to do that interaction, say, thank you, God, for what you provided, and thank you that I get to invest in your kingdom. Thank you. Make it a moment of worship. It is giving God worthship. Saying you are worth investing in. You're worth me giving my life to. Even through my material possessions. And number five, at the end here, what Paul's trying to show his beloved congregation in Philippi is recognizing the source of every good and perfect gift. Verse 19. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because here's the temptation, right? If I give, I think, okay, I gave away some of my birthday money or I gave away some of my Christmas money. Will I ever get any of that back? I gave away some of my income. Will I ever get that back? And Paul's saying, look, what you've invested in me, my God's going to meet you. He's going to pay you back. Don't look to me to pay you back. Look to the Father to take care of you and pay you back. And he'll give us all that we need, not necessarily all that we want. Okay? And God is a gracious Father. He oftentimes gives us things that we want, but mostly he's He's going to give us all we need. But here's the point. God is the source of all we need. He will provide. Again, back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, verses 25 through through, uh, 33. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, Look, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't spin, but yet their Heavenly Father feeds them. He takes care of them. Are you not worth so much more than them. He says, and don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the lilies of the field. They're clothed in this glory, and, you know, it's greater than the splendor of Solomon. And at the end of the day, he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your Father knows, He knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I know a lot of you know that. I know a lot of you could quote that. But are you living that? Are you walking into life saying, God is the source of all I need. And when I give to Him, I can trust that He's going to meet me with what I need. Whether to eat or wear or drink. He is the source of every good and perfect gift. I want to tell you something here at Berean. Some of you have the privilege to give to this ministry. I, as the pastor, do not know what you give. You know that? And I want you to know that for two reasons. It protects both you and me. And I want you to know that because it means I don't view you as a giving unit. And if you are a really generous giver, it keeps you from saying, hey, pastor, you owe me. No, you're giving to God. That's who you give to. You're not giving to me. You're not giving to Berean even per se. You're giving to God. And it's your trust in Him. He will meet your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And it's not just physical needs. I'm just going to list off a few things that Paul listed in this letter, and there's much more coming out of other letters, but this is according to Paul's prayers for the Philippians, what he expects God to do in them and through them, that God will bring to completion what he started in them, in their faith, the day of Christ Jesus, that their love will abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth and the insight, and they'll be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ Jesus, that they would be in the same mind, same love, one in the spirit and purpose, that they would have the same attitude as that of Jesus Christ, and a future need that God that Jesus would transform their lonely bodies, our lonely bodies, to be like His glorious body at the coming of His resurrection. 
It's not just the physical needs. It's, it's all the above. And last of all, is not the gospel itself an example of how God meets our needs? The truth of the matter is that we are stuck before a holy God. We have nothing to offer. There's nothing we can do to make things right between ourselves and Him. And yet He sends His Son, His perfect Son, to come and live the life of obedience that we cannot live. And to go to the cross and die and pay a penalty that none of us can pay. And then to rise from the dead and conquer death and conquer a foe and give that life to us who will put our faith in Him. He has given us all we need according to His riches and glory in Christ. I don't know where everyone's at in this room today. I do want to ask the question, have you received that gift today? Have you put your faith in Lord Jesus Christ and looking to Him to make things right between you and a holy God? To buy you back in order that you may have life. Life that only comes in knowing Him. The end of the first letter of John, chapter 5, says this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and that life is found in His Son. He says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's an offer to everybody. Will you take the Son? Will you take the Son and be transformed? As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a spiritual transformation in putting your faith in Jesus. And then to be his child, his son, his daughter. John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as received him, even to those who have believed in his name, to them, to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. It is by faith. It's not about going to church. It's not about having been baptized. It's not about being a good person. It's not about us even trying to pay God back with our, our finances because He's already paid the price. It is accepting His gift. Accepting it. And know the reality that God has met all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And if that's something you want to do today, I'm going to be praying at the end of this message. I'm almost done, okay? But for those, the rest of us, who put our faith in Christ, let's face it, we're still tempted, right? At moments to handle stuff wrongly. To not love people. To not worship God. When we're tempted and wonder if God is calling us to give, will He meet our needs? This is a reminder that He will meet all of our needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. He's the source of every good and perfect gift. At the end of this whole section, the end is, again, worship. The result is worship. To our God, the Father, be glory forever and ever. All of God's people from ages past to present to future, 
If Jesus tarries, all glory will be to our God. All glory will be to Him. And you know what the answer is to that? Amen. Let it be. Yes, Lord. That's the answer. So my friends, I want to keep this before you. Worship God, number one. Love people. We're made in His image. And manage the things. Steward them as God has given them to you. I'm going to pray and ask the worship team to come and close us here. And right now, if you're somebody who wants to respond to Jesus for the first time and your eyes are being opened to your need, what He has done, my prayer is not a complicated one. It's not even the right magic words. It is just an expression of a sincere heart wanting to respond to what God has done. So if, if this is you, just pray along in your heart with these words. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And I stand in need of forgiveness because I know all that I really deserve is your judgment. But I take you up on your word, Lord Jesus, as it says that God the Father so loved the world that He gave you, Lord Jesus, your only Son, that whoever believes in Him, believes in you, should not perish and have everlasting life. So I open up my life to you. Come into my heart. Help me to turn towards you. Help me to turn away from myself and put my faith in you. Come into my heart. Make me your new creation. Make me your son. And I don't even know all that that means, but come and do in me what I cannot do myself. Change me. I am yours. And I take you up on your promise. I believe in you and what you've done. And for the rest of us, Lord, we pray that you would help us to see that, again, you are the source of every good and perfect gift. And to do what we've talked about. To worship you, our God, and no one else. To love others that you placed around us who are made in your image. And, Lord, to manage the things that you've given us with a kingdom view, investing in eternity. Thank you for the privilege. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.